We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 561 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Tim Hilton, Keith Rafael Damui, and I know I had the five headlines yesterday, and you think, ah, there's nothing more to talk about, it was a 1-1 match, whatever. But yeah, there actually are a bunch of other topics to get into, so I wanted to bring on Rafa so we could really break some of this stuff down, because I'm checking my own biases and realizing I've been maybe, been maybe a little biased from some of the things yesterday, so he's here to set the record straight. Ready to go, Rafa? I was born ready, so let's go. Well, I'm going to start in a place that I don't think that you wouldn't expect me to start with, and that is with Hmm. the the fact that the comments and the people have spoken, and they've spoken a lot about Pedri, and it seemed like more people were disappointed in Pedri post-game than I would have originally noticed or taken attention to or even drawn attention to. I felt like I had praised Gundogan, and I had praised De Young, and I thought that they were above average, and the fact that Barca were the better team yesterday, which I think we're just all admitting, especially for the first 30 minutes, that Barca won the front foot. And we'll, we'll get into the whole idea of a big picture missed opportunity, sure. But if we're all at least safely able to agree that Barca weren't amazing, but they also were probably the better team in that tie, I had praised the other two midfielders, and I had said that Pedri was there. He picked up, he picked up an assist and all that stuff. But going back even a few weeks, I had put him in the same category as Ronald Araujo when it came to transfer business. I had said that, you know, Lamine Mall, completely untouchable. But I had said that Araujo and Pedri were, I think, the next, they were the two in that category of if you get an outrageous offer, if somebody says 100 mil, Pedri, take it or leave it, because of their injury history, you take it. Or at least you definitely listen and say, all right, you know, what are we going to do with this? I do still feel that way about both of them, that if a huge offer comes in, you listen to it, you engage it and see what's happening, even though multi- they both have multiple years left on the deal with Araujo likely discussing a renewal. But maybe I'm just a knee-jerk reaction after yesterday, or maybe it's even the last few months. It does feel like, to me, Araujo, even through all of his struggles and this dip in form that he's had that we saw the best of yesterday then, they're in slightly different tiers of that sentiment. The number for Araujo must be higher than the number from Pedri. And I think... I can understand that where it's like, it's so hard because I I spent all summer saying Pedri is completely irreplaceable in this team. The numbers backed it up. But this year, the numbers back up that De Jong and Gavi are completely irreplaceable and that Pedri has kind of not done the thing that he did last season to the same impact because 
Gundawan has one taken some of that production and B, he just he he just hasn't been as magical as he has been in the past. And am I being too easy on Pedri or does he deserve more criticism than I give him? Uh, It's it's a really tricky question because I think, and again, I'll say the disclaimer, I love him as a, I love them as a player, but as a coach, it's just for me, it's hard to judge players this season for me because of our coach, because of Xavi, because everybody seems worse than what, in my opinion, for the most part, they are. So although I can agree with that sentiment in a way that Betty didn't have an amazing game. And then I thought, I mean, you brought a great point. Like Gundogan now is taking a little bit of that pressure, but also that production as well. But with Pedri, it's a matter of, I just think sadly the, the, I know you, you, you were talking about Pedri, but I think the main problem, it's not Pedri. Is Chavi that for whatever reason, obviously I'm not going to get into that again, but for whatever reason, whether his message, he's not getting it across the players, the players aren't able to execute what he wants, whatever that may be, everybody seems worse than what they really are. So Pedri not having an amazing game versus Napoli. Yeah, whatever. I It could be. I'm not saying that. I'm not totally against that. But at the same time, to take that into that conversation of, hey, if we get a 100 million euro offer for Pedri or Araujo, I think we do do definitely listen to it. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, it's Xavi's not going to be here next season. We know that. We don't know yet who the next coach is going to be. There's a bunch of different names. Nobody has any information about what's going to happen. So... In that aspect, I think the the jury is still out. Like Betty, sadly, since that first season that he got trashed with minutes with Kuman as a Barcelona coach, then he went to the Euros with uh, Luis Enrique, and after that, to me, this was like De La Fuente should have gone to jail, and everybody in the Spanish Federation because taking Betty to the Olympic Games that was just malpractice. After that. Each season, Pedri has missed a chunk of like different parts of the season that for such a young player, it's so difficult for trying to like get that, not rust off, but trying to like even find yourself within the squad that constantly changes with all the signings and whatnot. And apart from the first season, each season has been cut short, cut short, cut short. And then Pedri like comes back for a month, two months, gets injured again. And then on top of that, you add the fact that the team isn't playing well, like hasn't played well the entire season. You could argue, you can even argue that last season, for the most part, we didn't play well, like beautiful football and whatnot. So going back to Pedri, I mean, don't get me wrong. If 100 or $130 million off yeah. comes in, you definitely take a look at it. But... I would hold until like it's more of a constant. Like you're like, okay, let's say uh, the Serbi comes in next year, uh, Hansi Flick, and you see the same pattern even with a different coach. Then I might be a little bit more inclined to be like, I know it's gonna hurt, but I wouldn't be so against maybe mm-hmm. seeing Pedri leave if we get that sum in an offer. 
so I have two big fears about Pedri. And one is, of course, related to the injury stuff that maybe already at his age, he's not trusting his body anymore the way he needs to because of that stop and start to that rhythm thing that you're saying. And then my second great fear is, as you mentioned, the best version of Pedri that we have seen was what Messi brought out of him. And my fear is that the best version of Pedri that exists was the player that is amplified by the greatest player of all time. And that Pedri is, let's say it was just, it was <laughs> Messi was bringing more out of him than he actually was generating himself, if that makes any sense, right? So that's my other fear that this messy list Pedri is who Pedri is would be the other big concern. But then I look at the numbers from yesterday. People were talking about him getting dispossessed or having trouble, whatever. But as I even said tactically yesterday, Barca really had no left-wing option because to stay with Cavara, Cancelo, to his credit, had to stay farther uh, or deeper. He could not get forward as often as he does in the Liga. And that meant that in transition, and why I praised Lewandowski actually yesterday too for the same reason. I thought Lewandowski did, well, he could have held the ball greater at times, he didn't have any outlet to his left. So every time they were able to turn him to his right, because that was where Gundogan was coming from, or there was Lamal, I mean, uh, Lamine Lamal, who instead of staying wide, also kept drifting in to looking for balls to feet, which means that Lamine Lamal usually throughout the game was not getting in behind. I mean, he's asking for the ball to feet because getting him in a 1v1 situation is the most dangerous thing that Barcelona can do. So it all makes sense in a vacuum when you have Christensen as your defensive midfielder. But without Pedri then to his left or making those runs consistently because he's in the midfield to try to get the best out of him, now you have no outlet to the left. So I felt like Pedri, very much like Gavi, it's the same thing. I'm not making an excuse for him on the left wing, but ideally Barcelona just has a pivot that can just be a pivot <laughs> or again, up top would be Gabi instead in that four-man midfield. And then you have, well, and then you have a problem with Pedri or, you know, again, that's a problem that Pedri, De Jong, Gunawan, and Gabi, in a best-case scenario, Barcelona's four midfielders, none of them is the pivot that Barcelona truly needs. That's a bigger discussion for another time. But just like in stats from yesterday, aside from his assist, he had 57 touches. Gunawan only had 59. And Pedri, again, was even being asked to defend and play out on the wing. And Gunawan was in the center channel. He had 36 passes, which you would actually expect he would have higher than that. He had 57 touches total, but between 40 passes, you'd like to see that. But again, 36, what are we talking about? Two chances created, two tackles, five passes in the final third, nine ball recoveries where he was 5'8 on his duels, and he was only actually dispossessed once in the game. I know it felt like he wasn't you know, making the most of his opportunities, but those stats don't tell me a player that really struggled in that game. That tells me that he was part of a midfield cog that was on the front foot along with the young Gundogan. I thought the midfield was better. The back line, other than the Inigo Martinez mistake, which we can now talk about whether that was a mistake or a foul. I'm not going to move off from where I said yesterday. I think that he tried to step, and I think he lost his balance a little bit, went down a little too easily. But I also thought Osimhen, you know, pushed out. Where it's like if they called the, if they didn't call, if they called the foul on Osimhen, then it's fine. And then because they didn't, they weren't going to. If that makes sense, like they weren't going to overturn that. So that's how that was. So I'll let you jump in there. But yeah, so my final point on Pedri is that, again, I look at these stats and I'll tell you when he plays bad, but I don't think he played poorly yesterday. I think if Barcelona finishes their chances, even the one in the 96th minute with Gundogan, if that goes in and Barcelona win 2-1, I don't think a person in my comments criticized. Well, there's like two or three that are always getting criticized Pedri. I've got some haters, so shout out to you three. But <laughs> you three, I, I don't think, like we'll say the masses would have been criticizing Pedri. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I, I want to get this off my chest. I despise playing with a false left winger. Mm-hmm. I despised it when Guardiola did it and putting Iniesta there because of what exactly you said. When we get the ball back, where the, like Lewandowski turns around back in the day, it was Messi. Messi couldn't give anybody that diagonal pass. Obviously, if Jordi Alba came up, yeah, but there was a big gap there that just shrinks the field for you because if Cancelo doesn't come up, then literally there's no outlet on the left wing and the opposing team knows that. So they, they're able to like, we're not going to even worry because nobody is there. Nobody is going to even arrive to the area. So we're able to overload Lamine's side because that's the problem that we're going to have on the right, their right wing because nobody's on the left wing. And then that's why I was... For years, begging, we need a left winger. And then, lo and behold, someone named Neymar arrived. And look at that. A world star left winger for Messi to lay passes to. And that made, I think that made a big of a difference those years. So I'll say the same thing. It's no wonder that we're reading on the press. Hey, Barcelona, one of the things they're looking for, apart from that obvious defensive midfielder, is a really good left winger. I know even Varachkelia has been named, obviously rumors and whatnot, but yeah, I just wanted to get off my chest whether it's Gavi, Pedri. I, to me, that's just, I don't like it. Then, the other thing, yes, I think it's a mixture because that always happens. Like, people, I wish, I know this is not possible, but for when people, us, whoever that may be, we analyze the games, I think it's take out the score. And then look at how the game was played without the goals. I know that's easier said than done because what you said, like, I don't think we play an entire amazing game, but the first 30 minutes were really, really good. And we had, what, two, three 
really, really good uh, goal scoring opportunities. If we, if we put those away, of course, it's a different, different eliminatoria. So, I mean, so best football that they've played all season. They uh, did. Maybe. But my problem is, and then obviously I'll just say this. I get this feeling. I don't know if you get it or the audience and whatnot, especially this season. I'm referring to this season that when teams want to drop back against us and give us the ball, they do it. But as soon as they're like, hey, your time's up, we're going to press high up. Mm -hmm. We're going to make it uncomfortable for you to play out of the back. And then it's like when they want to and they decide to press higher up, we can't do anything about it. And in a way, it felt like that after Lewandowski's goal that they were like a little bit like Atletico Madrid, that you know they can attack. They're really good at that. But Simeone is like he always goes back to what's comfortable. So they just defend, defend. And when, especially against us, when we score the first goal, you see it instantly. They're like, oh, they Barcelona scored the first goal. Now we got to attack. And they do it really well and create a bunch of chances. So it felt like that with Napoli in a way that we scored. And then they were like, okay, we got to attack. And then they did. And we weren't able to do anything against that. And it's been the same pattern for the most part the entire season, whether it's relegation teams, mid-table teams, top of the table. Like It doesn't matter who it is against. When they want to press up higher up against us, Xavi hasn't been able to... For whatever reason, I'm not a coach. Well, I got a Every to throw at you. Actually, I, I like that you, that you went into this conversation uh -huh. because this is where we're going next with this. Because to your point about how well they played, well, last thing I want to say about Pedri real quick is that he does not have the instincts to shoot. And I'm not saying blaming Pedri for that, but that's another a systemic issue about having him play as that false left winger that he's not in shooting position because he doesn't put himself in shooting position. He had one giveaway in the first half, I believe, that led to a little bit of a Napoli like mini counter because he went to like toe poke the ball in a non-shooting position and he just it collapsed right into a Napoli wall that was moving out on the counter. And it was just one of those other examples where his body is not oriented when he's going towards the box to shoot. He's not looking to do that. He's looking to set somebody up. And when you're going to play him at left wing, again, that means there is no threat coming from that side. So that means they're able to square. The defenders are able to know that Lewandowski, Minimal, and Gundogan, those are the three. I mean, really, those are the three players that are going to get a boot off other than a corner where you might see a Rajo or Kunde. But yes, in open play, it's Lewandowski, it's Lewandowski, and it's Gundogan in that setup. That's it. Really, that's it. Unless Pedri is, unless they've really put numbers in the box, And there's a ton of runners and then Pedro get the tap in or whatever, you know, the few goals yeah. that way. But to your point about playing well too, I mean, the stat I read in the first half about Barcelona had not allowed a single shot from the opponent in the first half of a Champions League match for the first time since December of 2016 versus Borussia Mönchengladbach. And it was the first time in a knockout game since May 2011 versus Real Madrid. And if you go that, it, that kind of stat tells you just how well they played in the first half. You, when, if you don't allow a single shot, that means you have done something right. You have figured out your opponent. You've really knocked the ball. You've really knocked the ball out of the park defensively. You figured it all out. And Araujo was playing great. Kunde was playing great. Things were working. And they played well enough where you'd say, again, I throw that set at you. And you say, that team probably won the match. Or they should have. Because you don't, get, you don't play that well in the first half. And then you're right. Like, get punched in the mouth and not be able to cover. And, and he, okay, so now transitioning into... Well, the why and trying to figure that out and, and do that. One is that 
Calzona, I mean, no manager can fix a team after 45 minutes, but he had 45 minutes with his team and kind of, I guess, figured it out. And I had said they came out so flat. They were given, I don't think, any instructions, which isn't his fault. You know, Calzona's like, he didn't know. He just said, all right, I picked my 11. I hear some of the ideas because they had worked with them before. Many of them and not all of them. I think there was, what, uh, seven or eight that were that had, had crossed over with him in the past under Spalletti. So there wasn't a lot of synergy. And they also play a very similar way. It's a 4-4-2 press defensively, 4-5-1, and Guisa dropping in. And then in a 4-3-3, they attack. That is the way Napoli played. That's the way they played now for quite a few years. It's, it's kind of the system that they work with. And it's a, a broader idea of Spalletti and, and what you see with a bunch of Italian teams that is a hybrid of the, what is it? Calicio or Calcio. Um, hey, so, Catenaccio. Yeah, Catenaccio. Sorry. sorry. Yeah. I, my apologies, everyone, especially my Italian. <laughs> so now we're trying to diagnose and say, well, why? Like, other than Calzona saying, work harder, stop being so flat like a pizza, like get out there and be a bit more intense. <laughs> I say pizza because pizza wasn't invented in Naples. Look it up. So flat like a pizza, go out there. You're, I mean, well, don't be flat. Be exciting. You know, get in the oven, <laughs> rise up and be more. <laughs> and they were. And they were, they were, they were much better because to the point that everyone was saying, you know, Barca wasn't being calm. I said on the five headlines and I still repeat it. I don't think either of these teams uh, building out of the back look confident enough this year. Like it just, they look like talented players who are unwavering in their confidence. And whenever you see any top team, I mean, look at Bayern Munich against Bayern Leverkusen. It's the same thing. Like it's why Tuchel just announced his thing. Cause even though, you know, on paper, like why is a team that has Joshua Kimmich in it or, you know, why is he, looking like he's not comfortable. Like it's when things are breaking down, everything's breaking down. And we watched a match yesterday between two teams that is, it is breaking down for both of them. So I don't trust Barcelona and I'm glad it's, it's, it's basically the Spider-Man meme. Exactly. Right. That is what we watched yesterday, which is like, and so for all those neutrals who were complaining, like I was like, well, Napoli does kind of stink. And anyone that, I mean, I've listened to the Napoli stuff. I did my homework. I was like, yeah, this team, this team kind of stinks, even though they won the league last year. And then we know Barcelona, like, yeah, they kind of play like they stink, <laughs> even though they have all these talented players. And then, you know, people who just show up for Europe are like, oh, what's the deal with Barcelona and Napoli? I'm like, no, this is, this is who they are. We, that match yesterday was actually really indicative, as you mentioned, the Spider-Man meme of, of kind of what we come to expect. But you're right about Barca getting punched in the face. The thing that people really looked at is that Napoli made changes and they also made early subs. He wasn't afraid to go to his bench and make some subs early. And I had said in the preview, Napoli, other than, as somebody pointed out, so shout out to whoever pointed out to me, that Zielinski had, had some weird contract stuff, so he was unavailable. But everybody else in their squad was actually healthy, and Ossiman was restricted to the 60 minutes because of coming back from AFCON. So other than a minute, one minute restriction for their striker who scored the goal and came out of the game, everybody else was healthy. So Calzona, even though he was new, could look down at his bench and say, all right, I know a bunch of you, or I can trust you. Let's change this game. As I said yesterday, I know that they're kids, and we've been very excited about the kids, Kubarsi and Mark Yu and Vita Roque. And I, of course, the idea of all these players and the moments, the moments that they've had on the field. I've been very excited, exception to Vita Roque's extended start, but they've been very exciting. But I mean, other than Fermi Lopez, and I know you can go off on the Fermi Lopez thing about how he probably should have came in the game for Pedri earlier in the game, even. You know, Pedri probably should have came out like the 65th minute for Fermi Lopez. So, other than that one argument, it was Rafinha in the 80th, and people were like, this guy stinks. Why is he on the field? And I'm like, well, you just yelled a shot for waiting the 80th minute, and then the guy he puts in is the one right winger, and you're like, well, this guy stinks. Well, I mean, what do you want? You know what I mean? And then Oro Romeo with hair and Jao Fellas come in, and then again, you look down the bench, 
the only players left. And this guy's, and I mean, people are complaining like, well, you know, Mark Costado could have come in for Frankie. I, I guess, you know, what are we doing? It's, I don't know. It's again, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. And I think it was a loser situation for Xavi because he doesn't trust anybody on that bench because this squad as a total is just not trustworthy, have not been good enough. And if the, if you think the players who he plays are out of form, try the guys who've been sitting on the bench for the last, you know, three, four months, right? I mean, yes, Mark, you did sort of that amazing goal last week, by the way. So shout out to him with the Galazzo. Like that was amazing. But again, that's in the third division. And for Kubarsi too, I would argue that this game starting in Nico Martinez protected him. And like, let's say if Kubarsi was the one who got pushed over by Osman, right? Like, what if you put him in that situation? So my gut tells me, I mean, I was wrong with my gut the first time, but my gut now tells me that Kubarsi is going to start at most week against Napoli. I think that now home cooking, that the kid's going to get the going to get the look. Yeah, I agree. I, the, the problem with, uh, I mean, you said it like Bayern it, to me, it more often than not, it's the coach's fault because there's like with that squad, it, it's just too many players, too many talented players for them to out of nowhere seem like they suck, which they don't. The majority of them, they don't like, I don't know what doesn't suck, but it doesn't suck. It's like, It's just like Frankie doesn't suck. Whatever, I can go down the list. Gundogan, it, not to say the name. Gundogan, has, even, he has double-digit assists for the first time in his career. This is actually exactly. like some of the best Gundogan that we've seen. Yeah. And then, like, and, and that's double-digit assist. Looking at our, at our attack, like, imagine if he had a formidable attack, a left winger, a right winger, like, not a 16-year-old who has been amazing. But the thing is, Like you, you see a little bit. Like it was, I like I talked to Julio about it. Shout out to Julio. It was such a a dumb play in a way, but to me, it was like the perfect example of how Xavi hasn't been able to get this team to understand anything that in his mind, I'm I'm pretty sure that he wants the team to do. But it was like Frankie and Gundogan to his right. Gundogan was gonna relay the ball back to Frankie. But there was a Napoli player in the line of pass. So Frankie just stood there like a scarecrow instead of like either going forward or going backward. So he could open a passing lane for Gundogan. And you could see Gundogan's frustration because he was like, like with this, his face gesture, you could tell he was like, Frankie, move. Like, I can't pass you the ball because there's a guy in between us. And Frankie just stood there and Gundogan just had, had, to pass the ball back. There was another play, which, like, I know we praise Frankie a lot, but for his ball progression, if there's one thing that he's really, really good at is literally taking the ball and, like, Forrest Gump, just run. But there's a time and a place for everything, and there's a, a, a play that's been going viral on Twitter, which Frankie grabbed the ball from almost the left side, and then they played a one-two. He was driving the ball forward, and he could have passed that ball to Lamine since he was, like, literally like in the middle of the pitch. And Lamine would have had an entire one-on-one -on -one against Napoli's left back. I forget his name. And Frankie just waited. He just dribbled, 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 dribbled. And then when he eventually laid the ball to Lamine, Napoli's defense was, quote-unquote, already set up. And, like, Lamine couldn't do anything in a way so he just like tried a lob pass and like couldn't do anything but if Frankie would have 
delivered that ball like four seconds earlier, that would have been Lamine one-on-one on a counterattack. So but on that play, yeah, I was looking at play. So on that play, what was interesting to me is that's when I, those are those moments when I question Xavi and say, this situation was going to come up. Like there were going to be situations where Frank and Young is driving forward, likely with a numerical advantage. You guys had to have talked about that at some point this season, right? So my question is, did Lamine Yamal, in theory, make the error by drifting inside as opposed to getting wide? Because that, I think, is what DeYoung was looking for. But Lamine Yamal, to your point, I think was expecting the early ball. It never came. He drove instead. So my question is for Xavi, and this is why, again, I'm critical of Xavi in the moments when you can be, which in this case where somebody got their wires crossed, so I don't know who to blame, right? It was <laughs> DeYoung, was it Lamine Yamal? But because it's the end of February in a Champions League match, I go that kind of miscommunication. This that kind of miscommunication between two of your, arguably two of your best players. Like, and that's actually that's unarguable. Two of your best players on the field. Yeah. Um, that is unarguable. Two of your best players. That kind of miscommunication on a counter where you have a numerical four on three. If it all goes your way, that tells me that I think there's this thing that Xavi is allowing them to play, and he's allowing them to kind of play through those moments. And I, I think this is actually a team that. I know it feels like they should be living in chaos because that's kind of what you, it was a lot of, I mean, part of Barca DNA as crazy. It sounds for the last 20 years has been put the ball at the feet of Ronaldinho or Rivaldo. Well, I'm not kidding. Rivaldo or Ronaldinho or Messi put the ball on their feet and then kind of like that move around, like move around them, run <laughs> for them right? Like work for them. And the mini mall's not at that level. And I'm not saying he ever needs to be, I'm not putting that pressure on him. And you have to go about your system and your transfers and your managing and your coaching as if he won't be that thing. Like that you don't have a get out of jail free card on the wing or in the center of the field or giving a free, be giving him a free role. Because for 20 years and longer than that, going back to Kabbalah or whatever, like there is always a player that could just do the thing and make it happen. And, you know, again, you go back to the days of Maradona, like that's always been part of Barca where they have these forward stars, usually from South America. They can just kind of solve problems for you in the attack, especially. And you don't have to kind of have specific instructions. And I, so I think part of the Barca DNA is Xavi is still kind of saying, hey, you're, you're world-class players. I trust you. But I don't know if it's not that the players can't be trusted, but I don't think there's enough of, you know, the game has evolved so much that look at Bayer Leverkusen. Like, even though Florian Verts has a free role, you can actually go back and see the moments when, clearly the instructions of where to be in between those lines. Because once he receives the ball, that is where freedom begins. But if Lamine Mall doesn't get the ball in a 1v1 situation, that is where freedom is. And there's no free moment because Barcelona aren't getting the ball to the players who can be free in those moments. You know what I mean? And that, it's it's and not, that's, not getting it there. That's my problem with Xavi, the, the coach. Because, and I'm, not, I'm t- talking about this season and last season. Obviously, I'm not gonna count that half season that he came in because obviously, whatever. I'm 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 gonna be just he turned it around. So well, the, the two complete seasons I mean, that he's had, to me, it's it. I felt that it's like that. It's like give the ball to Dembele, the good and the bad. Yeah, and then let him break loose or break havoc, and then we'll benefit from the chaos that is Usman Dembele when Pedri was available. Let Pedri pull out his Harry Potter wand and do something magical. But the rest of the team, which in my opinion is Xavi's job to then create a 
a habitat around those differential players so that they're able to benefit because everybody else who's not as differential as Dembele and Pedri in that season, they know what to do and they don't have to think. And that's the problem. This season, you can obviously Dembele's not here anymore. Pedri has been injured and whatnot. But what from midfield onward differential players do we have available? A 16-year-old on the right wing who we're relying on him to just, hey, Lamine, we know you're 16, but you're our most differential player in the squad. Do your magic, and then let's see what happens. So to me, that's that's why, to me, Xavi is not ready right now to be Barcelona's coach because I'm expecting you to coach the entire team, I mean, the rest of the team, so that they're able to complement a guy like Lamin Yamal because Lewandowski is of a certain age, is a, a, a striker that needs to be fed. Lewandowski is not going to go by. He, he didn't do it when he was in his prime. He's not going to do it now. He's not going to go by people and whatnot. If he gets the ball in the certain areas, he's going to be dangerous. But otherwise, he's not going to do anything different. Gundogan, the same thing. Like Gundogan, you get the, him the ball in certain areas and he's going to be able to create danger. But apart from that, we don't have differential players like a lot of them. It's like the same with Real Madrid. Like Ancelotti, in a way, has created a habitat so the other complement players who are really good are able to help his differential players. Bellingham and the when he, the forward and then Vinicius. So I expect the same thing from Xavi. Teach Joao Cancelo. I know that's tough. Where to be? And then and the, those, like, I know people might be listening to this, but, like, if you're watching this on YouTube, I'm expecting Xavi or whoever's the coach for you to, via the La Pizarra, the, the whiteboard, to create advantages positionally. Because it's no coincidence, and I've said it a new, numerous times here, that this season... It doesn't matter if we're playing relegation teams, mid-table teams, top teams, teams that play with four at the back, five at the back, 4 3-3, 4-2-2, 5-4-1. It doesn't matter. It seems like every tactical approach from the opposing manager is able to cancel whatever we want to do. And you see the game, and there's no passing options. Like every time Pedri, Gundogan, Frenkie receive the ball, They don't got anywhere to pass the ball to. So you see Frankie doing the same thing, just like trying to like shimmy, like going left, going right to get free because there's no movement, like nobody is free. And then at the, then the opposing team, for whatever reason, with two, three, four passes, boom, they're able to bypass our entire pressure and then hit us on the counter. So it's, uh, it's just so frustrating. I didn't think Barca's press was pretty good throughout the length of that game. I thought they pressed well as a team. They were in the right spot. That's why I did praise Lewandowski yesterday for that. I thought this was one of the better pressing games he had all year. And, and I want to say, too, this isn't a defensive Xavi, but Xavi has forgotten more about football than you know you and I could possibly ever know. He's stepping down for a reason. And I think the biggest reason why he's stepping down is funny to me that the Terry Henry on the CBS Sports Galaxy Sports Show, that Terry Henry's reaction to Xavi kind of went viral. Right. Because he, he immediately said, Mr. And people were saying how 
if Terry Henry is recognizing the greatness of Xavi as a football mind, you know, people are taking him for granted. The irony of Terry Henry doing that, and people know who've listened to me, you know that my Mount Rushmore of top four favorite players ever is Messi, Iniesta, Terry Henry, and Xavi. Those are my four favorite players ever, 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 ever that I would just, I will watch forever. Those are those four. And so the interesting thing about Terry Henry, as you even know, I was so excited when he became a manager here in MLS locally. And right. And I feel, oh, Terry Henry coming to the US. That I mean, even when he played locally for Red Bull, because I'm, I'm here in New York as well. So when he played for Red Bulls and it was just, it was awesome, right? It was just like Terry Henry, whatever. I got to see him at the at Red Bull Arena, which is, you know, a rough, a rough trip from where I am. But anyway, you get the point. I'm in the greater New York area. Nothing to get to in New York. But anyway, so, but Terry Henry, as the manager of Monaco, as the manager of Montreal Impact at the time, or CF Montreal, was he at another place? Well, I know he was the assistant for Belgium at the one of the World Cups, or 2018. Well, the under, what, he's a coach now, or was of like yeah. some, like, Francis under, I don't know, 19 or 21. Yeah, something yeah. like that, yeah. So he's still figuring out, but like his greatest issue with being a manager, and he was pretty honest about this, he was a manager, was taking the idea of a world-class player who just fully understands every second. They could break, he could break it down for you and say, well, this is my reaction to this. This is either instinct. This is not instinct. And his, his footballing mind, Terry Henry, you could see it. I know he shaved his head so you could almost see the thoughts pulsating. <laughs> But like it's, he's such a brilliant fo- football mind, but he could never convey it to his teammates. I mean, or the, his team. That was Terry Henry's issue. And until he learned how to do that as a manager, and again, maybe he's gone back to the French youth national team to figure it out, and he'll jump back off TV once he right. But now he's on TV because he conveys his ideas well to us as a TV audience because he's a brilliant football mind, and he can watch a game and say that's exactly what this team needs to do. Because that's who he is, and that's what he sees. And he can diagnose it, but he couldn't get his team then to physically do the things he wanted them to do. And he was a little easier to diagnose with this because on the sideline, but Xavi the same way. You see him looking at the camera. You see the way he's screaming at everybody. Else. Like, you could see it with Xavi. And the reason I think he's stepping down more than any other, I hope he's honest about this, is that for the mind that he has, as I said, he is, I was so excited because when you hear him explain his tactics, his ideas, his, you know, positional play, I think he is one of the best football minds in world football. I think he would have been the best darn assistant coach that anybody could have asked for at this point in his career. But I think that it was too early in his progression as a manager to know how to convey his ideas to his players. That is, I think, the only thing that I will say where the inexperience comes from. Because for people who say that he didn't, oh, he doesn't have the football ideas or his ideas about it, whatever. Like, that's complete nonsense. Is that there is something that he has recognized that he has failed to do is take his really great ideas and, and have his team enacting those ideas, whether it's a lack of instruction, whether it's too much. In, like, we don't know. We don't know if he's not giving them instructions, giving them too much or making it, you know what I mean? Like, we don't understand what that is. We have guesses and here we are talking about those things. But like, it was just funny to me and ironic that people were like, oh, listen to Terry Henry, sick of Rashavi. And I go, that's because they're the same because they are both are some of the smartest and best players to ever play this game. And neither of them have figured out as managers how to convey their their legendary status into the feet and boots of their team. And, it's and that's <laughs> the exact problem with Xavi. I agree with you 1000% that like Xavi, of course knows a hundred thousand times more than we do about football. Like nobody's denying that he's a incredible mind. Like before he signed with Barcelona, we were seeing those YouTube masterclass videos and on paper, we were like, this is, 
gonna work out because of it. Xavi, he's from Barcelona. He's been at the club. He knows the ins and outs. He's a incredible football mind. But that's the the analogy that I always make, and that's because it happened to me in college. I took this calculus class. It was with a Peruvian teacher, Bunching. He's a a, a brilliant mind in math and uh, calculus and whatnot. But one thing is you knowing exactly each step that even in your explanation, you bypass certain steps because you think everybody is supposed to know that. And I make the analogy, Chavi is like that college teacher that you know he's a a, a genius in that the uh, class, whether it's math, science, whatever that may be, he is a genius, but he is not a great teacher. And that is the difference. Xavi could end up being a great teacher, and I think that is exactly what he is missing. For whatever reason, we do not know if he gives his player uh, players less information, more information. We do not know the exact yeah. reason But it is obvious that for whatever reason that may be, he is not able to convey his genius. It could, it could even be that the personnel he has to work with, the squad he has to work with, does not fit his ideas. That's Maybe, exactly. Like he might be like, what if he just truly needed a young pivot, a young, right? Like, what if that was the thing he had needed? But because of the timing of the club, it just, it never happened. And I think people say that. Coaches who ask for saying or make excuses and say, I need this, I need this, I need this to enact my ideas. Well, then they're just not good enough. Managers who are great managers can make the most out of everything. But it's like Pep Guardiola went through a situation financially at Man City where it's not that he could do no wrong, but his problems were always going to be fixed by the squad. Like he was never going to have like a bad squad. I mean, because he hasn't like Pep Guardiola, even by whatever, like he's never had a bad squad. He's always had some of the greatest players in world football at his disposal. And he is a great manager that befits the titles that they have won. So it's a perfect synergy there. Right. And so like there are ebbs and flows and, you know, managers rise and fall. This is a, we are, we are like 40 minutes in this complete diatribe. You brought up your old cow teacher. So <laughs> a lot of shout outs. So I'm going to waste two minutes of everybody's time here. My high school cow teacher, this is unrelated football. My high school cow teacher only C I ever got in any, in college and in, uh, in high school, whatever. High school cow teacher gives me a C. I had to go to tutoring. I thought I did not understand algebra. I thought my brain was broken. I just didn't understand. I was like, I'm bad at math. It doesn't work. I go to college and I get a 98 in college calculus, which is basically the same course except at a college level. So they do like less hands-on stuff. No tutor, just me just doing the work and doing it all. And I get a 98. And I, my high school cow teacher, wherever he is, I just want to let you know, I have not forgotten. It has been almost 20 years. I, actually, it has been 20, more than 20 years. I have not forgotten. You are still my Jose Mourinho. I still th Whenever I have to do math and I do it quickly, I think of you. And that, that's what keeps it going <laughs> when it comes to math. Like real quick, like I just want to, like, because this is the analogy that I want people to take home from the whole, whole shabby thing. Imagine your teacher, the calculus teacher. He goes, he's telling you how to like do this or that. And there's 10 steps that you need to go from one to 10 in order to get this result. Mm -hmm. But since he's a brain, he thinks you already know steps three to five and then jumps from two to six. And obviously if you're not at that level, you're, you get lost yeah. because you're like, wait, whoa, where did, 
where did this X or Y come from? And I think that's Xavi's problem that maybe he thinks everybody's going to, especially different languages, people who weren't like, like weren't in La Masia and whatnot. And then you can't pretend for everybody to, uh, you can't assume that everybody's going to see things exactly like you react. Maybe you're like, oh, Gabi, Pedri. Oh, they should have done this in this situation. You're freaking Xavi. You're probably the best midfielder in history. You can't expect Gavi or Pedri or even Frankie the Young. Because like, people say, oh, Gavi and uh, Pedri are really young. Let's say Frankie, who's at a perfect age. You can't expect Frankie in that situation if you don't tell him to, by himself, think, oh, I should have done this or I should have done that. Because Frankie isn't Xavi and he isn't going to be. So, again, I think that's... That's been Xavi's main problem. And again, I want to make this clear because I don't want people five years from now, if Xavi turns out to be an amazing coach, like we're talking about the sure. Xavi of 2023 and 2024. And we're saying there's, of course, there's room for growth. And if he gets that right, I still think he can be an amazing coach because he's an amazing football mind. Yeah, you want this hot take? This is coming from nowhere. Hot take here. If He'll be back. Well, if over the summertime, Spain completely craps the bed at Euros, why not Xavi in 2026 to be Spanish national team manager? Woof, Madrid media. Oh my god. No, I'm saying like you want, you want you want the legacy Spain in you know international hire and not say the international game is easier, but guys seem to be able to take a break at the international international level. If oh. you think the Madrid media yeah. were salivating for Luis Enrique to mess up. Uh -huh. If Xavi becomes Spain's <laughs> national coach, I, I'm aware. Multiply that by a hundred. I'm aware. I'm aware. So yeah, and actually, I have an I have another fun uh, schooling antidote that is that does have a point here. So Vita Roque, people are asking why he wasn't subbed in yesterday's game. And my Vita Roque story, to your comparison, to take that classroom thing another step. When I was in college, I took a honors to get my honors uh, to get my degree with honors. I took an honors course that was called 10 things you need to know about business. And in the parentheses, again, as people know, I was not a math and science in, in college. So in parentheses, it says not a math class. It said like, like not an equation class, whatever. So me and my other communications or English, whatever friend, we decided to take this course with our other friend who's a business major. We're sitting there in the first day. And the guy puts, our teacher puts a bunch of equations on the board. And we're like, what is that? And our business <laughs> friend is like, oh, that's just like easy company valuations. And we're like, I, that's like nonsense to me. I've never seen that in my life. So then we go and we take the first, like our friend helps us study. We tried our best. We stayed up all night and we take our first test. I got a 13% on that test. And my other friend got a 10%. And of course, the teacher calls us out the class and he goes, can I talk to you too? And he goes, what is your major? And we were like, communications. But this is an honors course. We wanted to learn something about business because our school didn't allow you to be like a business minor with the communication major, which is a failing of the school. So like, we're like, all right, well, we couldn't double major. So can I, can I take this? You know, we just want to take this course because it said no math. And here you are. <laughs> the whole test was equations, whatever. And he goes, so he goes, yeah, I mean, that's what this is. Sorry that it was lied to you because the rest of our class was all business majors. So we were graded. I'm getting to the point here about Vitor Roque. So we were graded on a curve and we were graded on a curve together. So I know this is not say much about the American school system. So 
I apologize to everyone who saw the American school system or collegiate system. But yes, I was very much pampered because then our curve was against one another together. So if we studied together and did well enough together, so I ended that course with a 92% and he ended with an 88 because based on what was set out for us, which was to do the reading, to understand the concepts and to be able to put those into words, like our word mouth, (laughs) if we could articulate the ideas, then he was like, well, that's what you guys need to get out of this because you're not doing company evaluations in your careers because you're not business majors and this doesn't make any sense to you. And they all started way beyond. What that means is for Vita Roque, why you didn't see him yesterday is the same thing. When I look at Vita Roque this season and I take his last start as well, when he was thrown out there and for the first time just didn't look comfortable because he didn't have a goal in two, two minutes on the field. But when he didn't look comfortable, I felt the same way, like in that course. That's how I grade Vita Roque on his own curve. He was never supposed to come here to the summer. He's coming in January. So I don't think, or I can't expect at any moment in these months that Vita Roque will solve problems. The only kind of argument that I'm willing to hear is that very much like every team, there are surprises. Surprises pop up and guys give you more than you thought you were going to get. And like, I actually don't say Laminia Mall and Kubarsi in that category. Again, like I've known, I've heard these names since they were 13 even. Like they've, they've been one of the best in their classes. But there are Fermi Lopez's that exist. Like he is, the, he is actually the example where he has given you so much more and he's a first team player and you never expected that name at all. Like, oh, I didn't, right? Like he just was kind of like, all right, he'll be leaving La Masia, whatever. So for Fermi Lopez, that's the counter argument, but that's not what Vita Roque is. Like Vita Roque is a known commodity that's coming in and just has to get acclimated to the team and to the style and to everything that's happening around him. So I just... I'm not expecting to see him in those moments. And if he is there and does something great, but I'm not going to blame Xavi for not putting him in a class with business majors because he hasn't read any. It's all equations. It doesn't make any sense to him yet. I, I would have liked for him to be on the pitch, even like instead of Joao Felix. But what I always I, like, I want to see from a manager. It's, you know, you're leaving the, the ship is quote unquote going down, at least go down with, your identity. If you don't believe, like, I would have loved to see Vitor Roque, but if Xavi doesn't believe in Vitor Roque, then I understand mm-hmm. him not playing in, in that situation. So at the end of the day, do, like, obviously this has a prescription date. Like, like it's going to end. So do, like, die by your, w- die your way. That's what I, I, I want to yeah. get at. So yeah. I wanted to see Vitor Roque, but, at the same time, I respect Xavi in that aspect that, hey, whether it, it ends up working or not, you're going to die, die your way. And that's it. That's the only thing I can ask from a coach. Like, mm-hmm. go down, go down your way. Don't Like, don't go down and then be like, oh, my God, like, I, I wasn't me. Like, I was afraid. Like, no, if you're going to fail, fail your way, not somebody else's. So, I mean, I think that's why he starts Lamini Mall every day because – he doesn't not say that Xavi doesn't have to care about like he, you know, he's a Kool-Aid. So obviously he doesn't want to burn Lamini Mall into the ground. If Lamini Mall has a bit role in the Euros, you know what I mean? Or like doesn't go yeah. to the Olympics, which maybe he shouldn't. And Spain just have other players. Oh then God, there's no Olympics you know, right, Exactly. So like, yeah, Lamini Mall could very well be burnt out. But Xavi is, I mean, Xavi's even fighting for his job from week to week. Because if he were to, you know what I mean? Like if he drops oh, of course. Four and they lose to Napoli at Mons week, like, What's stopping him from being let go at the end of March? And yeah. you, I mean, but obviously Oscar Hernandez, his assistant wouldn't become the manager in his stead. <laughs> somebody, they would find somebody else. But 
anyway, so I think we've kind of, I, we had some good points here. I we got to tell some fun stories. More, <laughs> I told really boring stories, but you get the point. The education system in America is, is something that there, there are wins and there are losses. I think that's that's a lesson learned from today. But Rafa, obviously you've got your own stuff going on, Aldamui football, which you can find down in the show notes, of course. And I do find that, of course, with your channel, you might have to start doing like pregame stuff the day before now too, because if DeYoung is going to pop off like that every time, or if somebody like if an, if the Barca players got something to pop off about, then you might need to up it to the uh, the pregame before the day the day before. I wasn't able to go live after uh, yesterday's game because I had there was a like a upfront thing that I had to go to, but yeah, and then also like follow me on Instagram, although that's obviously more like Puerto Rican football, like like bunch of different things. And then I just want to make this clear: if you see some Real Madrid stuff, it's because there's a Puerto Rican play, playing for Real Madrid Castilla called Jeremy De Leon. So it's because of that. Like, obviously, I'm from Puerto Rico. I'm sorry. Like, Puerto Rico comes first. Like, and I'll say I'm going to become a Real Madrid fan, but obviously, I'm keeping up for uh, uh, whatever Jeremy does. So I just, just wanted to make that clear. If you see some Real Madrid content, it's because Jeremy De Leon from Puerto Rico, born and raised, plays for them. Uh, so that's it. That's Don't exactly. shoot me, please. Fortunately, Barcelona have tapped into the American market and not Real Madrid. So I've always been able to do that. That's been great. All right. Yep. So follow him at Aldemui Football. Few, a game in a, a few days, but Barcelona have a little bit to lick their wounds now. And hopefully they continue to just play better. Just play better in the Liga and maybe you'll get some results there as well. So you can also follow me at HiltonD13 on Twitter. If you're one of the few people that doesn't follow me or X, whatever you want to call it, I'm like... 15 people away from 2000. So before the website goes down, I just want to hit 2000. Instagram as well. And then Patreon, the Barcelona podcast. That's how you help directly support the show as well as the merch store. That's actually the easier way and you get something out of it. So directly support the show, the merch store. And then, of course, a good rating on the podcast apps, following on the YouTube channel. This week now, as in next weekend, generally I have planned for you the history stuff that I was working on with Rob. So we already know who the collaborator is, but I didn't tell you what the thing is. So that is planned maybe for this week. So if you don't hear from me throughout this week, it's because we're part of work on that. So expect that at the end of next week. So that's a little programming note for you. But most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.